Hello and welcome to Weathersnap. It's Thursday, the 22nd of December, 2022. I'm Claire Nazir. And I'm Alex Deakin. So today we're reviewing five key climate events of 2022. Graham Madge is with us in a while and we'll bring you up to date with the latest for the Christmas weather this weekend coming. But first of all, all eyes are on North America as a cold wave, which we reported on last week, has extended across much of the region of this world. Uh, there are extreme cold warnings in force and the rest. The situation looks pretty horrible as we head into the Christmas weekend. Alex, at a glance, what's happening? Well, this is pretty severe, as you said, uh, Claire. Really the worst of conditions during Friday and into Saturday. Really cold air from the Arctic has driven south across western central Canada and now driving south across central parts of the United States. And what's happening is that's powering the jet stream, which is spinning up a really vicious looking area of low pressure, proper winter storm. It's huge, this thing as well. Isobars packed in, meaning it's going to get very, very windy. There'll obviously be some significant snow on this storm as well. But one of the biggest things, I think it's going to be the temperature drop. Many locations are going to see a huge drop in just a few hours, something like 10 to even 15 Celsius in just a few hours. Temperatures really plummeting. Add on the strength of the wind and in that cold air, significant, significant wind chill as well. And it's the extent of these problems that's that's going to, you know, that's that's perhaps the biggest eye opener. There's such a big, huge storm, you know, all the way up from the northeast down to the across the Midwest, down towards Texas. Uh, temperatures in Florida this weekend are going to struggle to get much above three or four degrees Celsius, which is really cold uh, for them. And obviously further north where, yeah, we get snow in the United States, but there could be some significant dumps of fresh snow. Uh, many, many inches, a couple of feet possible in some locations. But as I said, perhaps the biggest factor will be that wind chill and just making it really, really grim. And a lot of people will be hitting the roads or, you know, a lot of people will be traveling this weekend in the United States, of course, uh, with, with Christmas. So it's a potentially very, very serious issue. Yeah, so I'm just looking at the Environment Canada website right now, which, which obviously produces weather forecasts every day. And the cold weather alert extends across a third of the country. And they're talking wind chill of an equivalent in terms of Celsius, around minus 50 degrees Celsius. So wow. extreme cold across this part of the world. And as you say, it's extending further south and it will cause misery for millions. Mm. People travel to get home for Christmas. You know, there's songs about it. We've seen movies about it. This is a real this is a reality yeah. for a heck of a lot of people across North America. Yeah, I think it's going to be big news. This I know, obviously we, we focus on the UK weather here uh, at the Met Office, but this is this is a this is a huge storm, and it, it will make waves around the world. Now, some news groups are calling it Winter Storm Elliot. That's not the official name of the storm. I don't even know whether they do name winter storms. They certainly name hurricanes across the US and beyond. But you know, this is going to go down in history as as a a Christmas where a lot of people are, you know, are going to run into problems. And mm. the best thing really about the US and, and Canada, their weather services are so good. They warn well in advance. News groups everywhere really picking up on this story. And I hope people will just heed the warnings mm. and just stay put because it's not just about the wind. It's not just about the, the bitterness of the of the air. It's about snow. It's about freezing rain. All of those things associated with a harsh winter storm. 
Yeah, freezing rain will be a big factor as well. You just as, as temperatures start to rise, perhaps behind the system, and you know you get that, that freezing. It makes it, it makes a crust on top of the snow, but it just turns roads into ice rinks. And it's something they so they get more frequently in the United States than we do across the UK. It's a relatively rare phenomenon in the UK, but again, uh, it's just an extra hazard to go with the blizzards and that significant wind chill. And it's as I say just the extent of it. And with many people trying to get to see loved ones, it, it is going to cause chaos. Mm, already is so um obviously we've just spoken about environment canada the u.s has um their own government uh, met service which is the national weather service and their website is full of really good information particularly if you are planning to travel there or if you've got friends and family coming over the atlantic from from the u.s or, or canada now this has implications for our weather doesn't it Alex and before we go into our next interview let's just add a caveat there we're not going to see this actual winter storm are we but there are there's ripples along um from the US and Canada yeah of course it's all interlinked you know as we know it's only there's only one atmosphere around, around the earth so everything that happens is is interlinked and we do have see these chain reactions we won't get this storm often people say when it snows in the US we get it a few days later that simply isn't true because the air's got to travel right across the atlantic but there obviously are some links and uh, a chain reaction will affect the weather that we see across the UK okay in a moment we'll be talking about the weather and some of the uh the model interpretations of what's going to happen through mm. the, the Christmas weekend and beyond. It's tricky, shall we say. It's tricky. And you had the uh, you had your 10 day trend hat on this week. Mm. So the, certainly these challenges, are, particularly around this time of year when people are, tra are traveling. And we want to know what the weather's going to do on that Christmas day when we wake up. Santa has been. Will we see footsteps in the snow or just maybe a soggy hat somewhere where he's lost it because of wind and rain? That image, yes, not so good. Earlier, I spoke to Graham Madge. Graham Madge is a senior press officer here at the Met Office. But he is also very much involved in all the climate comms and he's our climate correspondent. He's been with us all year delivering some really good news reports and giving us great insights about what's happening within climate science. So I caught up with him earlier today and he gave me his top five climate events that have happened during the past year. Graham, it's been a huge year of weather. And also climate. It's been very hard, Claire, to narrow it down to five events because this year, like every previous year, has been pivotal for climate. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that we have to look at has been the record-breaking heat in various parts of the planet. So in May, pre-monsoon heat wave brought devastation to parts of Pakistan and Southern Asia. We had temperatures of uh, in excess of 50 degrees Celsius. Uh, and our research at that time showed that a record-breaking heat wave in northwest India and Pakistan has been made 100 times more likely because of climate change. And then, rolling on into July, we had the heat wave here. So we had temperatures of 40.3 at Coningsby in Lincolnshire, again, absolutely linked to climate change. You have to wonder, I think, Claire, I mean, we, we've seen 50-degree temperatures in parts of southern Asia. We've got almost very close to 50 degrees in Sicily at Syracuse. Um, we had almost 50 degrees at uh, in parts of Canada, very, very close, not 
too far away from 50 degrees. And you have to wonder, I think, given this successive um, heat waves that Europe has been experiencing, how long will it be before we get 50 degrees C in Europe? Okay, I would like to dedicate more time to the heat, but let's just look at the other points through the year that you feel are, are prominent. So I, th I think, you know, staying with that heat theme for a moment, in May, we issued our five yearly outlook for the planet. And that includes the chances of the world seeing its first uh, incursion above 1.5, reaching 1.5 or above. And the five-year forecast that we published for this year and the next five years shows that the chances of global temperature reaching 1.5 has increased yet again. And now it is reckoned to be around 50-50 that we will experience one spell at least of 1.5 or above within the next five years. Um, it's likely to be on the back of something like a, an El Nino for the first time. Um, and it is unlikely to be something that's repeated again very, very soon. But it just shows, I think, Claire, that we're getting nearer to that 1.5 degree threshold. And although a temporary um, exceedance of 1.5 doesn't mean that we've broken the Paris Agreement or anything like that. But it certainly shows the potential for the planetary temperature to continue rising and for that threshold to be exceeded eventually unless we can start cutting back on emissions. Which means that I think coming on to the next point in, in my list here, which was COP27. Yeah. So at COP27 at Sharm El Sheikh, we had an opportunity to really get serious about emissions. Sadly, there wasn't much progress on cutting emissions at, at, in Egypt. Lots of um, coverage of other things and some good news to come out of it on loss and damage, for example. But it just shows that if we've got that need, the IPCC has said that in order to limit warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels, that global emissions have got to peak before 2025. And what are we now, three years away? Um, and that the emissions need to be halved by 2030 or thereabouts compared with the levels that we had in 2019. And we need COPs in future to be much more ambitious and successful if we're going to stay below 1.5. So I think the, the next thing that I would look at really is the extreme weather impacts that we've seen around the world. So we've already mentioned the, the heat wave that was brought to Pakistan in the pre-monsoon. Actually, when that monsoon followed through, I'm sure our listeners will remember the devastation in terms of flooding that was brought to um, both Pakistan and, and Bangladesh, especially where extreme rainfall, much heavier than average rainfall, caused huge swathes of flooding across both countries and, in fact, across much of the uh, Asian, Southern Asian subcontinent. Um, we had the situation in East, Af uh, in East Africa and the Great Horn of Africa, where ongoing drought um, has led to um, extreme conditions. And then, indeed, um, 
to sort of complement the the dryness of East Africa, then Southern Africa actually saw much heavier rainfall than normal. Um, sadly, there was uh, widespread fatalities across much of the region, with many people being displaced from homes and impacts on transport and agriculture. So when you look at Africa as a whole, it's very much a reminder that Africa is on the front line still. So, you know, we're hearing about these stories all the time. And as you say, it's it's the poorest people who are on the front line of climate change. They have nowhere to run. But, you know, I think there is some hope here as well. And I think, you know, concluding my top five, I'd come to the COP15 Biodiversity Summit. So we're used to COPs in terms of climate. Uh, We just had COP27 in Egypt. Well, COP15 has just concluded in Montreal in Canada. And there the delegates have been discussing the need to protect wildlife and biodiversity. And there has been some general uh, good feeling about what that uh, event has has actually achieved. Um, There's much more detail to come out. The, The negotiations have only just concluded. But there is this aspiration, for example, of the the 30 by 30, so where um, 30% of the world's land, seas, coasts, and inland waters will be protected by 2030. And if you can look at how protection like that will be so valuable in the tropical forests, we've reported previously on the podcast about the importance, for example, of the Amazon. Um, Well, if 30% of that region at least could be protected uh, or more, then we would stand a chance of having fewer emissions from deforestation because it's not all about fossil fuels. A lot of the emissions are coming from trees and other vegetation, which is cut down. Um, And that could protect areas like the Amazon to carry on with their vital climate services, like the transport of water to avoid the region drying out. So there is a lot to play for. And I think, you know, we've got to see yet that ambition put down in legislation and actual protection. But what it does show is that there is an aspiration to try and do more. And when you put climate and biodiversity together, then that really is a very rich area indeed, because one will support the other. So my thanks to Graham Madge and all the reports that he's given us through this past year. And we look forward to hearing from him again in 2023. Now, Alex, 2023 feels a long way away right now in terms of the weather forecast because, you know, there's a lot to play for, isn't there? There certainly is. Yeah, there's big, big question marks about this weekend. And of course, uh, it's Christmas. Everyone wants to know what the weather's doing on Christmas Day. So that adds an extra element, even more attention. But of course, the weather doesn't always play ball with these significant dates and actually more uncertainty than usual surrounds particularly the big day and Boxing Day about exactly what's going to happen. But uh, I have been looking at the 10 day trend. The actual trend between Christmas and New Year is for the the jet stream to become enlivened across the Atlantic. And we're going to see changeable conditions with the potential for some quite deep lows to develop, bringing spells of wet and windy weather interspersed with some colder spells. And that is tied in with what's going on across the United States that we've been talking about. That, That cold plunge sinking south is invigorating the jet stream. And that sets us up for next week for this changeable theme. However, yes, lots of people want to know what the weather's going to do for the Christmas period. White Christmas. Well, let's say it's very likely that somewhere in the UK we'll see a white Christmas. 
but the chances of you waking up to deep and crisp and even is very small because the definition of a white Christmas is just one flake of snow to fall in your location between midnight and midnight on Christmas Day. And, and we will see that, I think, in some wintry showers across Western Scotland. So that's where favourite for a white Christmas. Most places look like having a mild Christmas Day and the milder air is pushing in during Christmas Eve and lasting into Christmas Day. The big question mark is the colder air is coming back. The question mark is the timing of that colder air coming back in from the northwest. And the, the main models that we look at just just not agreeing really on that timing. Uh, the European model keeps it mild well into Christmas Day. Uh, our model somewhere in between that and the American model, which brings the colder air much uh, faster further south. But that's just the latest run. They keep flip flopping as well. So there is much uncertainty. It's going to get milder. There'll be some wet weather around. I think mist and low cloud will be one of the biggest travel issues in the run up to Christmas. So, you know, on Friday and Christmas Eve, there'll be mist and fog on, on some of the higher routes as well as a bit of rain around. But then this colder air comes back south during Christmas Day and into Boxing Day. And then Boxing Day itself looks looks pretty cold. But I say the big question mark is just how a certain low interacts with the jet stream. Uh, I was talking to um, Stephen Keats, a deputy uh, chief meteorologist here at the Met Office, and he was kind of briefing me on, on the weather through that Christmas period. And it's just this how this low interacts with the jet stream and how intense it gets. And a subtle shift here and there which just makes a big difference between when the colder air returns. Uh, so that's the big question mark. As I say, most places are not going to see deep and crisp and even. But as the colder air comes in, we will at least see some snow on the big day in the west of Scotland and perhaps a little further south as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the key thing is, I think, as a, as a mum, is that I just don't want it to rain really on Christmas Day because you can get cabin fever being in all day. You just want to be stepping out. You know, some kids will have new bikes, new scooters, just gets that fresh air after a very, very early start. And I know that your household will probably be very busy um, come seven, eight o'clock in the morning, maybe even earlier than that. I don't know. Does your wife like a, an early start on Christmas Day or you just bring a cup of tea in bed and say, love, have a lie in for <laughs> that one day of the year. I'll look after the children. Uh, I don't think that's happening. Hold on. <laughs> um, my wife does not does not like an early start. No, she's not. She's not an early riser. Um, the question mark is how that how quickly the cold air returns from the northwest. Have you ever worked a Christmas Day morning or Christmas Eve into Christmas Day? It's quite exciting, isn't it? I used to yeah. I used to work at London Weather Centre when we used to have sort of regional offices for the Met Office, and just going up on the roof of London Weather Centre every hour to see if that flake of snow had actually fallen, because obviously that was the official place many moons mm. ago where we would say yes, it has been a white Christmas. Uh, the definition has evolved since then. Yeah, and it's uh, you know so. It's a good job you're a very scrupulous person, Claire. Otherwise, you could have put some money on the bookies and, and <laughs> won yourself a fortune with those ops. Um, But yeah, I, know I remember many Christmas days working at the BBC Weather Centre. I remember one in particular, Louise Lear. Louise Lear made scrambled eggs, and I brought in some. I brought in some smoked salmon. We had smoked salmon crust and in in the office. She cooked it in the microwave in in the office. And we had smoked salmon and scrambled eggs on Christmas morning. That was nice. And yeah, a few times worked through the night, Christmas Eve into Christmas Day morning and then that's quite nice because then you go to bed and you just wake up just in time for the big Christmas lunch at two or three in the afternoon so yeah 
Yeah, that's I mean, that's one that's one thing really that you need to know, really, if you don't, that the Met Office doesn't close for Christmas. It continues and there are meteorologists, there are scientists there keeping a keen eye on the weather. And, you know, we have our own department there who are also just so good at briefing, you know, whether it's media, if anything becomes a bit more of a story. So they will still be delivering uh, broadcasts on our social media platforms right the way through on Twitter, on YouTube. So just stay tuned to the forecast, particularly if you are traveling through the Christmas period. Before we go, highs and lows, Alex, for last Mm, week. So, yeah. And this week it's me and you doing them from, I'm going to say, Monday the 12th of December through to Sunday the 18th of December and what a week it was. It was incredible wasn't it? What a jump we had in temperatures right at the end of the week. Absolutely crazy. Here's a fun fact. Between Saturday and Sunday the average maximum temperature in the UK, the jump between Saturday and Sunday was the third highest daily temperature jump on record, records going back for for those daily temperatures to the 1960s. Third highest daily jump between Saturday and Sunday when we saw that milder air coming in. And do you know when the biggest drop was? Are you going to tell me? I am. It was that was this year as well. The biggest single drop in a maximum to average maximum temperature across the UK happened after the heat wave earlier this year. That was the, that was the biggest drop, one day drop in temperature, and the third highest daily rise was was over the course of the weekend. Stats from Dr. Mark McCarthy, of course. I can't take credit for those stats, but and he has been an absolute star through the year on Weather Snap as well. So I stepped out on Sunday afternoon up here in Cheshire. It felt tropical. Our house was colder inside. It kept in the cold. Yeah. It was almost like this waft of warmth. Just so nice. It was such a relief after having so many really, really cold days. In fact, earlier that week, I think it was the average maximum temperature on the Monday was zero degrees Celsius. Yeah. So and I think Tuesday it was 0.1 or something, wasn't it? So look at that. So across the whole of the UK, north, south, east and west, maximum temperature was... Zilch, zero. So let's just go back to these highs and lows. So what day then, Alex, from last Monday to last Sunday, was the mildest day, the warmest day? What was it? It's got to be Sunday. Yeah. And where was the highest temperature? Ooh, probably somewhere in the southwest, down here. Oh, he's good, that Alex. Cold Rose. Yeah, it was, you were very close, north coast of Cornwall. It was viewed. Ah. 13.9 degrees Celsius, Sunday the 18th. Okay, you probably will get this one right as well. The coldest night, night for a long time, but the coldest night across the UK, when was it? Braemar, wasn't it? And it was that minus 17 point something on Tuesday morning. Yeah. And then the next, that the following day, it didn't get above like minus nine. Was that right? Minus 9.3. Another good stat, ready for a good pub quiz at the Met Office at some point. Have you ever been to Braemar? I haven't, no, have you? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I went when I was broadcasting for GMTV many moons ago and uh, it was bitter then. It was snowing, minus double digits. And I was there uh, to report on the weather and it was lovely. I was in a lovely hotel, beautiful scenery. And in fact, when it's that cold, and it's that snow, it's very pleasant as long as you, you mm. dress well. You have to dress and layer up. Now, the wettest place, I don't think you're going to get this. But um... I will, I'm, tell me the country 
who got the mm. wettest place last week mm. it's probably i'm gonna say england again or was it wales south wales uh port Maddock in gwynedd 38 millimeters that was on saturday so that was obviously the precursor to the milder air coming in mm. And I think we got max sunshine on one day last week. Uh, so maximum sunshine around this time of year is around seven hours. Yeah, tops. Say yeah. Tops. So the only place that can get that sort of maximum across the UK would be the south somewhere. And in fact, it was. And it was last Thursday. Wiscombe in Somerset got 7.1 hours of sunshine. But it was generally a very sunny day. So, you know, cold, yeah. sunny. That's what we like. That's nice, isn't it? You get those nice winter days when it's like that. We don't don't seem to have them very often. So that was nice last week when it was cold and yeah. sunny. I like that. For some. Anyway, Alex Deacon, thank you so much for your company this year on WeatherSnap. Been an absolutely huge year of weather. We will do a review of the weather for the year across the UK at some point in the next few weeks. But for now, Merry Christmas. Very Merry Christmas to everyone. And all the very best for 2023. And our thanks also extends to Adrian Holloway. And thank you very much to all of you for your company and listening through the past year. Have an amazing Christmas, a safe one and a very prosperous and healthy 2023. See you in the new year. <laughs>